This podcast is brought to you by Amicus Attorney, developers of legal practice management software. Let Amicus help you run your practice so you can focus on what you do best, practice law. Visit amicusattorney.com and get started today. Diversity at law firms, especially at the higher levels of partnership, continues to be a hot topic of discussion. Is that all it is, a discussion item? To this day, fewer than 20% of equity partners are women and even fewer are lawyers of color. This has been the case for more than a decade, even though there are now more women at law school than men. I'm Molly McDonough, editor of the ABA Journal, and in this special episode of the ABA Journal's Asked and Answered podcast, we talk to those who've been working through hiring decisions in the media to move the needle on diversity. I'm delighted to welcome to the program Suba Berry, Senior Vice President and Managing Director of Working Mother Media, which publishes the annual 50 Best Law Firms for Women list, Vivia Chen, a columnist and regular commenter on diversity for American Lawyer Media, Heidi Levine, a partner at Sidley and Austin, and Lynn Cherryton and Jeff Smith from Comcast Cable. Thank you all for joining me today. Vivia, I want to start with you. <laughs> Big surprise. Um, you've been pretty skeptical that companies and law firms are willing to address diversity in a meaningful way. Is that right? That's so. totally true. I think there is a lot of discussion about it, but I see it, unfortunately, more as window dressing than substance. I think there's universal agreement that diversity is a good idea, but how much is being changed is another issue entirely. Okay, I'm, I'm skeptical because we've been talking, we've been having this conversation about diversity for the last 15 to 20 years. There's been a lot of initiatives that have been put out by very well-meaning, creative people, but you don't see the results. What you see, in my opinion, is a lot of work, a lot of good intentions, but little in the way of substance. But we are starting to see more substance uh, from more and more companies. Um, and I'm wondering if maybe we can address uh, where that substance is coming from. Uh, Suba, maybe if you could talk a little bit about what you're seeing from companies and why diversity at law firms um, should matter more. As you know, Working Mother has been producing our 100 best companies for Working Mother's list for the last 31 years. So 10 years ago, when we really took on uh, this mission of bringing some of our learnings from our best companies to the law firms, our intention was to look at uh, and recognize law firms that were doing a great job uh, in retaining and promoting women and really delving into the policies they had put in place in order to be able to promote the advancement of their women lawyers, specifically focusing on the equity partner levels. And what we do is we measure a variety of uh, factors within law firms. It, it goes from the mundane to the sublime. So we just actually count heads and measure numbers as it relates to percentages of women equity partners. We look at uh, not just policies and programs as it relates to maternity and paternity, but also look at flexibility and what are those things that will allow these women to progress their careers within the law firms, similar to the way we focused on our 100 best companies. What we are challenged by is the real glacial uh, rate of change. The progress has been very, very slow. 
And so we hit upon a couple of interesting areas where our 100 best companies seem to have caught on and are doing a better job with it. One is around accountability, and the second one is around metrics. So we look at companies that are doing a good job of, firstly, knowing what to measure and report. And the second part is, how do you hold people accountable for producing those results? When that combination happens, we see progress, and we're hoping to be able to bring that from our best companies to our law firms. Lynn, can you talk a little bit about what you're doing at Comcast? I mean, there's two issues for us, obviously. One is the diversity of our in-house counsel staff, and then the other question is, what can we be doing to promote diversity in the law firms that partner with us. Inside the legal department, I'm really pleased with the progress that we're making. We have a really high percentage of female lawyers in, in our law department. I think we're over 60%, actually, and a lot of that is is recent change. I still think we have work to do in terms of people of color, but I think our percentages are in the 20 to 30% range, and I think it's at or better at that in terms of my directs and the more senior people in our group. But, but I'm really, I'm pleased with the focus on it. We've put together with Jeff, who's on the panel with me, um, leading it, a diversity committee in the law department for the first time. We have one in the company, but really to focus specifically on our own initiatives and our own efforts um, and to make that clear to our legal partners as well on the outside. So um, in terms of what we do with respect to outside counsel, you know, we support the ABA's initiative on diversity, and that helps with measurement on a broad scale. But an issue, and to Vivi's point, um, that we've struggled with and I struggle with is whatever those numbers are, you know, we see them. And, you know, we see that some of our partners are not doing what I think they should be doing on diversity. But do we actually then move to take the work away? And often, at least on a broad scale, that's, not, that's just not a realistic near-term threat with a lot of the work that we give out. And so, you know, we can consider it, we do consider it. We also certainly, for the work where we can bring in RFPs and really have, you know, really consider new firms, we will certainly go out and look for minority and women-owned law firms. Um, but what I can do and what I have been doing, and I really want to work harder to encourage people in my group to do, is also to work with the law firms that we have to make clear to them that we, we expect them to be bringing us teams of diverse lawyers, you know, that include people of color and include women. Um, and it's not acceptable for them to just keep bringing a bunch of white men to the fore for every project. And then they need to think about it and they need to know that they're making us uncomfortable and unhappy. And also to reward them and make sure that they know that it is appreciated when they don't do that. Or, or rather, when they do do what we're asking them to do. Doesn't that send a strong message too to your core firms that you're going outside for new business, uh, for other matters, uh, looking for diversity when you're not finding it? Or do you share that with them? Um, you know, I don't know the degree to which they recognize that. I think there may be situations and maybe it's on us to make that clear to them. But again, I think the reason there's an issue is that it's, it's really hard to impose serious real-world consequences mm -hmm. on the larger firms, you know. But but on the other hand, if you take a project here and there away, it does make them unhappy. I I think if you also make them understand that they're making you unhappy, I, I can't imagine even a law firm that assumes it's getting a lot of work from you likes the feeling that they're the general counsel's walking around kind of really disappointed in them. And yes, I'm using you, but you're making me really unhappy. It's not as strong a lever as saying I'm taking this multi-million dollar project away from you, but 
I'm not making all by myself the multi-million dollar mm-hmm. project decisions. I've got a lot of other constituents in the room when I give out that type of work. So that's not something I can single-handedly just penalize a firm for. Right. I wanted to turn this over to you, Heidi. You had a really good example of consequences when we were talking on a panel um, just previously. Uh, we're here at the ABA annual meeting. And if you could maybe talk a little bit about uh, your perspective on what makes a difference for law firms. Sure. Happy to. I, I think that Suba raised one of the criteria that she looks at for looking at best firms for women is accountability. And I'm not sure I'm seeing a greater level of accountability on law firms to increase diversity, uh, ethnicity, race, gender, orientation on their client teams or in promotions and positions of leadership, there's not a level of accountability yet coming from our clients. And I think that unfortunately the only way to move the needle is client incentives, client directives. We are motivated by work that we get in. That's how we have an operation. That's how we maintain our business. And if the people bringing in the business and the ones who can claim their relationships are the white males and giving their work to other white males and there's no consequences for it, they continue to get big matters, they continue to have big institutional clients for the firm, then there's no reason to change gears. So while I hate to put the onus on our clients, I think the clients are the ones that can help us move the needle and give us those incentives to make sure that we're keeping up with our obligations to the legal world, including our um, our diverse and women young lawyers, and make sure they're getting trained, make sure they're on teams, make sure they're not uh, being tokens on a team just to think that they're making a client happy, but to really take responsibility, be a leader, be at the trial table, be in the boardroom when deals are being made. And I, I just, unfortunately, I, I think firms are past the point of knowing that it's the right thing to do. I think everyone agrees with that. I'm not sure everybody understands the business case and why it makes a better, more robust team with better results. And I'm not sure that there's a way to really prove that. Uh, and so it, it really has to come from, from our clients demanding it. And to Lynn's point, making sure that the firms hear it from our clients what is making the difference between not necessarily being taken off of work, but not getting work, losing pitches because they're not presenting a diverse team at the top levels, not at the junior associates or paralegal, but at the top levels. Okay, I want to get back to this with you, but we need to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor. These days, law firms need to do more with less. Making this happen requires efficient, cost-effective tools that work the way you do. Available as a desktop or cloud solution, Amicus Attorney Practice Management Software improves the organization of your firm and drives your bottom line. Visit amicusattorney.com to discover how you can join the thousands of lawyers who rely on Amicus every day to run their practices. All right, and we're back. Um, Heidi, I wanted to ask you, um, you have some real-world example of some consequences that you've experienced recently. Can you talk a little bit about that? Happy to. I have a client who, as part of their pitch process for new matters, they have a, a ranking or rating system for their firms where they give percentages based on different criteria. And for every single 
matter that is pitched to them, 10% of the grade is from the diversity of the team that is proposed to the client. And I was recently involved in a pitch with this client where the firm with the lowest rate, meaning the cheapest price for the company to take this matter, for the firm to take this matter, did not go to that firm because they did not have a diverse team. So although they were the lowest rate, they did not get the work because they didn't have a diverse team. And another firm that might have been a little more expensive actually got the work because they had a diverse team. And more importantly than that, the head of litigation called the firm who didn't get the work to explain to them why they lost the pitch. I think that's critical is from what I'm hearing from, from everyone here is that it's that follow through, that follow up. Lynn, you had talked earlier at the panel about uh, when you're finished with a matter, you send thank yous and, and really acknowledge people. And I think also, I think something that seems to be making a difference late. I, I am seeing more reporting on this topic and in general news media, and for sure from you, Vivia, I'm wondering if you're starting to see more of this peer pressure or pressure mount because of other industries starting to pay more attention to and really understand the business case for diversity so that that's translating into more pressure from the client side to the law firms. Well, there's certainly more talk about it. Uh, you know, how much that pressure is really there, I, I guess that's still open to question. I mean, there's ongoing chatter about, you know, how we need diversity. There's a business case for diversity. Diversity is the right thing to do. This is what our clients demand. But again, I have to ask, are clients truly demanding it in a way that's meaningful? You know, we, we talked a little bit about having to have clients present statistics. That's all good and fine, but when you look at how many companies are truly tracking the statistics of their outside counsel, it's really, it seems rather appallingly low. Uh, in a recent ACC report where 1,800 in-house counsel were polled, only 6% of them said that their companies track diversity issues. What's more, only 3% of those councils said that their companies tracked women. I mean, I find that really appalling for all the talk that's gone on in the last 10, 15, 20 years about this issue. Do you want to jump in, Jeff? Um, Well, I think as I said on the panel, we've gone through a series of phases as in-house counsel. I think initially, you know, 20 or 30 years ago, People wanted to use people that they were comfortable with. Um, I think we have gone through a more recent phase where the reaction of in-house counsel has been, this is not my problem, I'm indifferent, give me a woman, give me a man, give me a person of color, just give me a good person. I do think that now, increasingly, you're you're seeing in-house counsel uh, begin to push the issue a great deal more. So I'm not surprised by Vivia's observations in terms of whether we've made progress to the state, I do think that we're probably starting a new phase, and you've seen it with companies like MetLife and Glasgow and Google's recent announcement and Facebook, certainly with other companies ourselves beginning this process. Um, and so, no, I'm not surprised that we don't have a record of change over the past few years, and I'm hopeful that these new initiatives that companies uh, are undertaking will result in change. 
One of the um, points that was made during the panel is that so many of the new general counsel are women coming from law firms. And I'm wondering if you're seeing that starting to make a difference. I don't think there's any question that as the in-house complement becomes more diverse, more people of color, more women, uh, that you will see greater pressure on firms to be responsive to that. Um, not just because we will demand it, but because firms will begin to feel that in making presentations to us, they'll need to put their best foot forward. Mm -hmm. um, it's unfortunate um, that uh, they would take the view that they only need to do that if there's a diverse in-house counsel. But if that is the case, then certainly we'll benefit from that. Suba? One of the things to observe is that, yes, we can have the customer come in and put pressure on the law firms to provide more diversity. But I see a lot of our best law firms really take the lead on trying new programs, policies. And I'm going to throw out some good examples for you. Working flexibly, as an example, um, in, at uh, one of our law firms, best law firms, is emphasized. So attorneys that are on partnership track can operate remotely up to 40% of the time. That's phenomenal. And so there's no ding against you for working flexibly and working remotely. Another firm, for example, has made a commitment to recruit at a rate higher than 50% for diversity. So their incoming lawyers are more than 55% women and people of color. So if you continue at that pace, you're going to see a change happening in their numbers. Who heads up the management committee or who has spots on the management committee or who's chairing practice groups? All of those have impact. So when law firms are paying attention to those aspects and elements very deliberately, then what you're doing is you're putting in the mechanics that are ultimately going to drive change. And we're seeing a lot of innovation happen on that front. So it's a combination of law firms being bold enough to try it, not just because they're being pressured by their vendors, by their customers to do so, but because they inherently want to be better than what they are. So you're seeing them develop that infrastructure that exists. We talked about this on the panel that exists pretty well in HR departments at corporations, but at law firms, it really is a much smaller operation with fewer resources. So are you seeing that come about with use of technology? Technologies plays a big role in it, you know, when you really think about what it is that you can put in place using technology. But ultimately, if you don't have accountability with it, you can have the best technology. But what accountability does is it takes the results that come out of measuring the stuff to say, OK, I'm going to make someone responsible, whether it's patting them on the back for delivering the results or dinging them for not delivering it. So that accountability piece is very, very important because you can use technology to put the metrics and measurement in and you can get people to actually do the measuring. But if you do not have consequences following that, you are not going to get behavior change. Right. And that's where we see progress made where there are actual consequences and where those consequences are working. But again, we're not seeing a lot of movement in that area. And one of the things I, I want to add to that is that we do see a lot more improvement on lower ranks in law firms with diversity, but it's that succession, getting business and making sure that lawyers advance into the higher ranks, that seems to be where the roadblocks are. 
I think it's very slow. The whole process has been painfully slow. I just don't see a lot of change at this point. I think we should be hopeful. I, I think Supa is right that there are more women in management positions now in law firms. I think that is something new. And we should also be hopeful that the complexion of the general counsel office has changed greatly. So hopefully those things will make a major impact in the next five years or so. I'm, I'm going to give it a short time frame because I think we've been way too patient, you know, and, and always calling this a marathon instead of a sprint. I say, let's sprint for it. Okay. Anything more from you, Jeff? I mean, I don't disagree. I think that we have been waiting a long time. I'm, you know, I started practicing over 30 years ago and uh, there's not been a significant change in the complexion of firms since then. I do think that um, in addition to talking about what clients can do, um, and it's very important that we emphasize this, we need to encourage our associates and our women and people of color within law firms to become much more active on this issue. I think that for a very long time, we've all been passive. Uh, we've all been uh, a little hesitant to raise questions and challenge diversity. Um, and it's very important that our associates speak up and demand mentorship. Uh, the programs that Suba speaks of are very important, but really it's about how you distinguish yourself as an associate, distinguish yourself as a partner so that you can have power and leverage within your firm. And that includes being out there, figuring out how to do the most important thing for law firms, and that's go out and get business. Um, you know, it's, it's very important for you to have a stature in your firm, for you to be that person who the client wants to have on your job. Um, and I'm not sure that in our culture and in our world, we figured out how uh, women and people of color can successfully go get that business. Okay. Um, and that's very important for their development. And Jeff, I, I agree with you. And I will tell you that it's important for women and people of color at all levels to learn to advocate for themselves. But I cannot underestimate mm -hmm. or emphasize enough the power that comes out of male allyship, and I mean white male allyship. In the corporate side, I will tell you that that has been defining. When white male CEOs have stepped up to sign a pledge to proclaim that they're going to get, you know, 30% representation in senior ranks of women in their organization, we have started to see the needle move. So we cannot do this without the white men. No and question. so it's going to be critical in the law firms to recognize this early. Corporations took a long time to get to it. But I believe law firms can start here and now with white male partners stepping up to say, we will own this. No question. And I think when I say I think that people of color and women should be speaking out for themselves, I don't think we ought to be speaking just to ourselves. Yeah. We ought to be speaking out and asking for mentorship from whoever is in the power within that firm structure. You know, if you want to learn how to get business and if that's the main thing and if there's a white male partner who's focused on that, you go learn from that person. What you can't do is uh, if you want to be within that structure, pull yourself aside and not try to make inroads into that structure. And again, I'm not trying to minimize the impact that corporations can have on pushing these issues or minimize the impact of any program we're specifically talking about. But we need to evaluate and understand what is it that really motivates law firms to deem someone successful or not, and then figure out how to best demonstrate 
because we have the capabilities, but demonstrate that we are part of that success and part of that business model that they're looking for. Okay. Thank you all for joining us today. I'm Molly McDonough, and you've been listening to a special episode of the ABA Journal's Asked and Answered. I want to thank you all and our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. We look forward to you joining us for another episode of the ABA Journal's Asked and Answered podcast.